This is Truth and Focus, your radio program for worldview talk and issues that matter, with Josh Cumston and Gordon Teeson, broadcasting from the studio at Nebraska Christian Schools. Welcome to Truth and Focus. I'm Gordon Teeson, your host at Nebraska Christian Schools. Today we'll be listening to a message from Dave Gibson. He is the pastor of Grace Church of Edina in Minnesota. He's the pastor of Evangelism and Discipleship. Pastor Dave will be helping to teach our kids how to be witnesses and how to share their testimony and the importance of discipleship when witnessing to others. Let's join Pastor Dave with today's message. At what point do you have to hate someone to not share, share with them? Do we really, really believe people are lost and facing a Christless eternity and that Jesus Christ is the only answer? Okay. Two principles in evangelism. So each one, reach one, and teach one each year the rest of your life. Two principles. The first principle in evangelism is that evangelism is a process. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and chapter 3, he says, One plants and another waters, and it's the Lord who brings forth the increase. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 9. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, and it's the Lord who brings forth the increase. There's a process involved. There's the cultivation of the soil. There's the planting of the seed. There's the watering of the seed. And then ultimately, there's a point of harvest. The farmer doesn't put the seed in the ground and come back five minutes later and says, oh man, that doesn't work, and just tills up the ground again. You know, the Bible says, don't be deceived, God isn't mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap, Galatians chapter 5. He who sows to the flesh will also from the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will also from the Spirit reap eternal life. The law of the harvest, you reap what you sow. You sow corn, you're not going to get peas in return. You get corn in return. You reap more than you sow. You sow a kernel of corn, you won't get a kernel of corn in return, you get cobs of corn. Corn huskers, you guys know about that stuff. You reap later than you sow. The farmer doesn't plant the seed and come back five minutes later. He comes back five weeks later and all of a sudden there's a sprout coming up and it's knee high by the 4th of July and you got, by the end of the season, you've got a beautiful crop. And then you reap what you sow, more than you sow, later than you sow. And that's the same way in sowing spiritual seed. We sow the word. If you look at uh, Dr. James Engel has put together what they call the Engel scale, and people are along this continuum, and this really helped me understand evangelism. I always felt like when I was in college, I had to close the deal. I wanted them to pray the prayer, and, you, and I just really pressed people because I thought there was something that I could do to really convince them that they needed to receive Jesus Christ. I can't do that. No one comes to the Lord unless they're convicted by the Holy Spirit, drawn by the Holy Spirit. And we'll look at that next principle, that God is the one who does it. So out here at a minus eight, they might have an awareness of a supreme being. Even before that, they might not even believe there is a God. And I want to look at evangelism as a one-step process. Then there's an initial awareness of the gospel, awareness of the fundamentals of the gospel, gospel implications, the grasp of the implications of the gospel, positive attitude towards the gospel, counting the cost, a decision to act. Out at a minus five, you can appeal to a person intellectually and prompt an intellectual response. 
You can move a person emotionally and prompt an emotional response. But only the Spirit of God can appeal to a person spiritually and prompt a spiritual response. So you come to the point, so there's a lot of people, I think, that are out there at the minus 5, minus 4, or minus 7 praying prayers. And they aren't really born again. This is not really a spiritual thing. It's not just an intellectual response to, well, I guess I'll flip a coin, pick or choose Jesus. It doesn't work that way. And they come walking down the aisle singing just as I am, and they walk out of there just as they were. No change. It's like the, uh, Jesus ca- talked about being born again. It's at that minus two, minus one, and there and you come to the point of salvation. That's where a spiritual birth takes place. It's like the nine months of gestation. You have the mother gets pregnant, the sperm comes and unites with the egg, and the, the, a life begins in the womb. But there is a point in time where that, after nine months, that child comes into the world and is born. And Jesus uses that analogy in John chapter 3. And he's talking to Nicodemus, a really religious guy. And Nicodemus says to Jesus, good teacher, you know, you've come from heaven, obviously. He recognized Christ was no ordinary person. And he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And you might be sitting here today, friend, saying, what must I do to go to heaven? What must I do to have eternal life? And what did Jesus say? John 3, 3. Jesus said, answered him, Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you're our teacher from God, no one can do these things unless he's from God. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how then can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born of the water and born of the Spirit, He cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of the flesh, that's the physical birth, is flesh. But that which is born of the spirit, the spiritual birth, is spirit. Do not marvel if I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes or where it goes. So it is with one who is born of the spirit. I was going out. I've got a coach's Bible study every Saturday morning with coaches and former athletes. They've got seven ex-NFL players in that Bible study, half of them are African-American guys. They are great athletes. One of them was an all-time leading receiver for the University of Minnesota Gophers, 6'3", 220, Ron Johnson. He was just a phenomenal receiver, played for the Baltimore Ravens, played for the Chicago Bears. But Ron was coming to our Bible study. He was just kind of hanging around the fringes, and Ron went out. Uh, I went out to coffee with him and Mark Mullaney. Mark was a number one draft pick for the Vikings, played 13 years for the Vikings, defensive end, big 6'6", still looks great. He's older than I am. And Mark picks me up every Saturday morning. We go do Bible study. And Ron wanted to go out to coffee with Mark and me afterwards, and I said, guys, you know, I just never knew where Ron was, was coming from. I said, you know, we all have to have a defining moment with Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you're here today and you've had that defining moment where you have said yes to Jesus Christ. I'm all in with you. I'm fully surrendered. I'm trusting you alone for salvation. 
Not my good works, not my religious background, not whether I'm a Catholic, a Baptist, a Presbyterian, or a Buddhist, or a Muslim, or a Hindu. And I've shared this message all around the world. And it doesn't matter what the label is on an empty bottle. A Christian is one in whom Christ dwells, and that's why we need to be born of the Spirit. So I said, guys, do you know what your birthday is? Do you guys know your birthday? Mark gave me his birthday, and Ron gave me his birthday. I said, you guys know your wedding day, the day you said, I do, to my wife. And they knew their wedding day. I said, that's a good day to remember, guys. Your wife will appreciate it. Don't forget it. <laughs> You'll pay the price. I said, do you, when was the day you were born again? Do you know the day? Maybe you don't know the exact date or the exact time, but can you point to a time in your life where you bowed your knee to Jesus Christ? And you move that information about Jesus from the head to the heart. And I said to Mark, how about you, Mark? He said, yeah, Dave, I was at Vikings training camp, 1979. That's way back a while ago. And number one draft pick. Robert Miller, a black running back from Kansas, was his roommate. And he, Robert would read his Bible every day, get on his knees and pray. And Mark was out partying hardy with all the guys. He was one of the wild guys on the team. And Robert shared Jesus Christ with Mark. And he says, on that August 1979 Vikings training camp, I got down on my knees and I invited Jesus Christ to come into my life. He was a Catholic growing up. Just because a mouse lives in a cookie jar didn't make him a cookie. And just because he was going to a Catholic church didn't make him a Christian. I said, Ron, how about you? Grew up in the inner city of Detroit, around the church, and he started crying. He said, I'm not there yet. He didn't have a defining moment where he had said yes to Jesus Christ. Didn't come to that point of repentance and faith in Christ and salvation. And uh, Ron prayed and invited Jesus Christ to come into his life. And he was born of God's Spirit. It's just beautiful. This big, tough athlete. He's in his 30s. He's not an old guy like us. But he's a new creation in Christ Jesus. But you know, we don't leave people right there at the point of salvation. We've got to bring them to maturity in Christ. And out here, at, we want a, a post-decision evaluation, incorporation into the body of Christ, a lifetime of growth in Christ, and discipleship and service and being spiritually reproductive for Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 27 and 28, write it at the very end there. That's the goal. It's Christ in us. Christ in us. The hope of glory. Is Christ in you today? Do you have Jesus Christ in you? Romans 8, verse 9, write that verse down. Romans 8, verse 9 and verse 16. You are not of the flesh, but of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of Christ dwells within you. But whoever does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. I, don't, I want you to think about this. And you might be like I was for 17 years of my life. And you haven't made that journey from the head to the heart. And I want you to think about that today. Maybe you're from a different country. And it's the same thing. Jesus Christ did not, he was not a Westerner. He grew up in Israel. He was a Jew. And he, he died for the sins of the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever 
believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. In Kenya, in Swahili, it goes like this. Kwamana jinsi hi mungu aliapwenda uli mwengo hata kamtoa manai wapeke ili kila amamanie ase pote bali na uzima wami lele. In Espanol, Spanish, it's porque de tal manero amor Dios al mundo que ha dado a su hijo unigenito para que todo aquel que en el cree no se pierda más tenga vida eterna. It's the greatest truth, the greatest love story ever known to mankind in Vietnam. Es vi duk chua troi yutong de jan de noi da ban kan mut kuanai hao chai ai ting kong ai kung bi hu mut ma duk su song doi doi. God, the greatest being, so loved the greatest act, the world, the greatest company that he gave, the greatest demonstration, his only begotten son, the greatest sacrifice, that whosoever the greatest offer believes in him, the greatest simplicity, will not perish the greatest loss, but have the greatest certainty, eternal life, the greatest possession. See evangelism as a process. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. We proclaim him teaching every man and admonishing every man with all wisdom that we might present every man, every woman, complete in Christ. That's the goal of this, this school here, to present you complete in Christ. And Paul says, it's for this purpose also that I labor according to his power that mightily works within me. People are somewhere along that process, and we need to move people one step closer to Jesus. Evangelism is a process. And principle number two, God is responsible for the results. God is responsible for the results. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Okay, let's just look real quickly at a personal testimony. How many have written out your personal testimony? Okay, I got an assignment for you. A number of you have, but I'd like to have everybody in this school, first of all, have a personal testimony, but then also be able to clearly communicate that personal testimony. The first important key is to have a clear, compelling, personal testimony. It's your subjective experience. It's what Jesus Christ means to you personally. This is my story. And there's three elements of that story. Before I came to Christ, what was life like before you came to Christ? Then how I came to Christ, and what, what is life like after I came to Christ? Got some instructions in here. You can go online to our website at Grace Church and you can actually do your own My Story track. And we have people, and we've got this in all kinds of languages. They're actually doing them in Vietnamese and Arabic and Spanish. And, but it's your story. 500 words or less, you can drop it into the website. Then it opens up on one page. It tells the story of the whole Bible on one page. And we're going to go through this in a little bit. And you're going to learn life in six words, the gospel and how to clearly communicate the gospel. A lot of people, you want to take away the religious words and phrases. Got some uh, tips and pointers in here on how to prepare your testimony. Some do's and don'ts and how to, what not to do. Don't make statements that reflect negatively on churches, organizations, or people. Avoid mentioning denominations or churches by name. Avoid sounding preachy or condescending to people. Don't use vague terms or religious jargon. A lot of people are just, we have our own little language in the church that the, a non-Christian world doesn't understand. I was redeemed. You know, theological terms that won't make any sense to people. You want to speak in terms that people will understand. And here's an assignment. 
I'd like to give to you. Write your testimony in 500 words or less. Have an attention-getting line. What was kind of the big deal in your life? I grew up and I was really empty. Or for me, uh, my attention-getter is for 17 years of my life, I was trying to answer two of life's most important questions. What's my purpose in life and where will I spend eternity? Boom. That's my attention-getter. So have an attention-getting line. Include the major turning point in your spiritual journey. should include the before the turning point, what was life like before you were a believer. It wasn't all bad. There's good stuff going on, too, the good and the bad. But what was the sense of need that brought you to the point where I recognize that I'm a sinner? And in the how section, you want to clearly and concisely present the gospel. And then after you came to Christ... What has life been like since I came to know the Lord? A lot of people spend all their time kind of glamorizing the before they came to Christ, and they spend very little time talking about after they came to Christ. What does Jesus mean to you right now? How has he changed your life? Both the good and the bad. My life isn't perfect now. And I have struggles. I have temptations. But I do have the assurance that I know where I'm going to spend eternity I know that I'm deeply loved, I'm completely forgiven, I'm fully pleasing to God, I'm totally accepted by God, and I'm absolutely complete in Christ. And I know that I know that I know where I'm going to spend eternity. God has filled my life with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and share about the after you came to Christ. Then there's some what-nots to do in your writing style. Write as though you're speaking to a friend rather than a formal speech. Be positive, start to finish. Be specific. Have some word pictures in there, stories, something that will really grab their hearts. Like my friend who committed suicide. Kind of a defining incident in my life that really got my attention. Okay. Personal testimony, elements. Three barriers for people coming to the Lord. Intellectual barrier because of bad information. What are some examples of bad information? All roads lead to God. That's bad information. There's many religions that will get you to God. And all roads lead to God. That's not true. Here's Acts chapter 4, verse 12. It says there's no other name. No other name given under heaven by which men can be saved than Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6. John chapter 14, verse 6. Thomas, they call him Doubting Thomas. I like to call him Honest Inquirer Thomas. He asks the hard questions. It's okay to ask hard questions. If Jesus is the answer, then what are the questions? And he can t- he's got, God's got big shoulders. He can take the hard questions. He says, how do we know the way, Jesus? Where are you going? Jesus is talking about leaving. This is upper room discourse and He says, how do we know the way to heaven? We don't know where you're going. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, not a way. I'm the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Write this down. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Can I hear you say that? Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Never forget that. Don't add anything to it. 
don't subtract from it. So what do we, how do you overcome that bad information? So you got false religions, million and one religions out there. You have, uh, oh, you're saved through your infant baptism, or you're saved by your good works, or you're, saved be, you're a Christian because you belong to this particular religious organization or denomination. doesn't matter what the label is in an empty bottle. A Christian is one in whom Christ dwells. 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 First John 5:11 to 13, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. This life is in His Son, Jesus. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you can know that you have eternal life. So how do you overcome the intellectual barrier? Bad information, you give them good information. Two primary ways, basic apologetics. We don't have time to go through that today, but you got my good buddy David Wheaton's coming. He's my hunting buddy, and we hang out all the time. Say hi to David for me when he comes. Former tennis player, number 12 in the world at one point. Great guy, great brother in Christ. He teaches a Christian worldview. And you guys learn about apologetics. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Have some convictions about it. And then secondly, know how to clearly present the gospel. Basic apologetics and know how to clearly present the gospel. That's how you overcome that intellectual barrier. Understanding where people are coming from and then bringing truth to bear. The truth will set you free. Second barrier is a volitional barrier. That's the issue of the will. The volition, your choices, your will. We have a bad nature. We are unregenerate. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, You are dead in your trespasses and sins. We're spiritually dead. 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, 5 and 6, he says, If the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they don't see the light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. So we're spiritually dead, we're mentally blinded, and we're volitionally held captive. 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26, he says, If perhaps God will grant you repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, you'll come to your senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Do you have Christ in your life, or don't you have Christ in your life? So we're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're spiritually blinded, and we're volitionally held captive. And there's nothing you can do to overcome that. Dead man can't save himself, and there's only two things. The work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Spirit, Holy Spirit will guide you into truth. The Holy Spirit will reveal Christ to you. The Holy Spirit and prayer. Prayer. No prayer, no power. Little prayer, little power. Much prayer, much power. And the earnest prayers of righteous men has great power and wonder, wonderful results. I was in college. I had a roommate got stuck with me. Uh, I was president of the FCA on our campus. This frat guy was assigned to me as a roommate. One of my 
teammates on the football team couldn't come back because of grades. So I didn't have a roommate, and they stuck this guy. He stocks the refrigerator full of beer, and he's just totally paranoid. He's got to be with the guy who's the head of the God squad on campus. So I started praying. I said, Lord, I'm going to take a long-haul approach with Jeff. He was a pre-med student, and he was with a wild fraternity. He loved to party hardy. And it was the very first week of school, and we got into this conversation. He started asking me questions, and I was just amazed because I, I prayed that God would open a door of opportunity, natural opportunities. Pray for natural opportunities. Well, we got into this conversation about Jesus. It was getting really late, and we said, oh, man, we probably should go to bed. But I, I felt like the Lord was really working on Jeff. So I went down the hall. It's after midnight, and I knocked on the door of a couple of my buddies, and I said, hey, get up and pray. The hound dogs of heaven are after Jeff. So I get some guys down the hall, they're praying. And I come back into the room and I, we shut off the light and, and I could just sense the presence of the Lord there. I started praying. I said, Lord, if you want him to come to you tonight, have him say something. And there was a presence of the Lord. The Holy Spirit came into the room and I could, you could physically feel the presence of God. It was just amazing. It was just like we got overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. And, and I said, Lord, if you want him to come to you tonight, have him say something. And Jeff hollers out, I can't take it anymore. And I'm praying this silently. And I said, what's up, Jeff? And he says, you feel what's happening here? And he says, so he got on his knees and invited Christ into his life. It was prayer. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Overwhelmed Jeff. And he gave his life to Christ. He turned into a flaming evangelist. He'd go into his philosophy classes and tell them it was a bunch of garbage that they needed to give their lives to Jesus Christ and they'd beat him up and he'd come back into the room, hey, Gibber, we got to talk. <laughs> Happened with a guy named Anwar over in Iraq, a Muslim man. I talked to him late at night. I said, Anwar, I'm going to pray you can't go to sleep tonight to get right with God. Three o'clock in the morning, I saw him next morning at breakfast. He had this big smile on his face. I said, Anwar, did you find Jesus? Did he get a hold of you? He said, yeah, I did. It's at 3 o'clock in the morning. I couldn't sleep. <laughs> he opened up that little track we gave him. Gave him and he says, I prayed and invited Jesus Christ into my life. Prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you overcome the volitional barrier. Okay. Three barriers. Intellectual, volitional, and then there's an emotional barrier because of bad experiences. So I want to give them good experiences. That's where you want to build... A friendship. How many people have you heard, how about Jeff on the airplane? They're all hypocrites. He's had bad experiences with Christians and or organized religion. And that's what kept me from coming to Christ. Bad experiences. So let's give them a good experience. Let's make a friend. Be a friend. Bring a friend to Christ. I like to golf. I was out golfing with a guy named John. He's become one of my best friends. We met on the golf course, never met him before. We're out there playing, and he's cussing up a storm. And about the third hole, he says, Dave, what do you do for a living? And I tell him I'm a pastor, and then he spends the rest of the round apologizing for his language. <laughs> and so we're, we're playing golf and talking, trying to talk to him about the Lord, and we're trying to play the game. He loves to play. We got together, and I said, hey, hey let's grab lunch together, Jeff. And we went through four weeks of an investigative study in the Gospel of John. We said, what does it say? What does it mean? How does it apply to me? 
He said, Dave, I came to your Mass the last two Sundays. You never talk about Mary. What do you guys think about Mary? I said, oh, we really like her. She's great. We don't pray to her. She's not God. Well, anyways, shared the gospel. Got to John chapter 3 about being born again. So what does it say? What, what does it mean? How does it apply to me? He says, there's kind of a common theme to there. And John invited Jesus Christ to come into his life. And it's through that friendship, that relationship, that he came to know the Lord. You've been listening to a message by Dave Gibson, who is the evangelism and discipleship pastor at Grace Church of Edina, Minnesota. Well, this wraps up the program today. You've been listening to Truth and Focus. For my co-host, Josh Cumston, this is Gordon Thiessen. Thanks for joining us as we encourage, engage, and equip Christians in today's culture war while bringing the truth in focus. Thank you.